Um, we're doing a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and it's part of our chapter a day series where we are looking at the parables of Jesus and discovering what Jesus really meant about the kingdom. And what we're discovering is how we perceive the kingdom or how the, how the world perceives the kingdom versus how Jesus communicates the kingdom is really upside down. And so Pastor Phil introduced the series on the upside down kingdom by defining the kingdom of God. And he defined it as the rule and the reign of Christ. What that means is this. Any place where the person and the truth and the power of God is manifested, healed, there you have the kingdom. So in your life, when God's presence and his power and his truth is revealed in your life, you're establishing the rule and the reign of Christ. So Daniel talked last week about how the kingdom of God is upside down in relationship to justice and how we see that, in relationship to grace and how we see that, in relationship to forgiveness and how we see that. Well, today we're going to talk about the upside-down kingdom from Luke chapter 15. And we're just going to walk through the chapter verse by verse. And we're going to talk about two things about the kingdom. And it should be up on the slide. Number one, we're going to talk about the heart of God and how God really sees us. And then number two, we're going to talk about the pursuit and the purpose and the passion the furious love of God for you and I. Now, let me tell you why that's important. It's important for this reason. Number one is you're only going to respond to God according to your revelation and your understanding of God. And so if you have a revelation or understanding of God as a rule maker, as a command giver, who's abusive, who's controlling, who's manipulative, You're going to respond in a very lackadaisical type way. You're not going to respond with passion. You're going to respond to fear. So that's the first reason why it's important for us to get an understanding of this upside-down kingdom in relationship to a revelation about the heart of for you and I. Second reason it's so important is that you and I can only respond to God if we know that he truly wants us. And see, we construct in our mind a whole lot of beliefs about God as it relates to us. And I think through Luke 15 today, Jesus is going to deconstruct some of those thoughts so that he can reconstruct what he really believes about you and I so that we can respond in a way that draws us close to his heart, in a way that draws us into his embrace, into his love. So... If you would, open your Bibles or open your app to Luke chapter 15, and, and let's pray. So, Lord, as we open up your sacred word, your holy word, and God, as we seek to gain a revelation about this upside-down kingdom, we ask that you open up our, our eyes, open up our heart, open up our ears, that we may really see and experience all that you have for us. We love you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come anoint this message. And I ask that you just use me. I just want to be a a servant of your word 
and that you let nothing come out of my mouth that does not bring honor and glory and lift up Jesus today and draw us close to his heart and illuminate Luke chapter 15 to us. In your dear name, Jesus, we pray by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to our Abba Father. Amen. Luke chapter 15 is one of those chapters that gets Jesus killed. I don't understand why they killed Jesus. Think about it. He healed the diseases. He cleaned the people of demons. He fed 5,000 people. He fed 4,000 people. Why do you kill someone like that? It makes no sense to me. I struggled with that for the longest time. Why would you kill a person who's good all the time? And Luke chapter 15 is one of those chapters that gets Jesus killed. Because we understand through Luke 15, we will understand what happened, why this chapter is such a scandalous chapter, and what happened in the life of Christ and what he taught that actually got him killed. So we have to start with verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 lays the foundation for the entire chapter. And so we have to do some hard work there. Now, now read along with me in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors... And sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, if you're like me, that means nothing to you until you dig deeper. So let's talk about what is a tax collector? Why would they be drawing near to him? So I want to give you a little bit of history. At this time, the Roman Empire goes from England to about India. On the northern side of the Mediterranean, up towards Russia, all the way around to Saudi Arabia today, down to Africa. They had 25% of the land mass of the known world and 25% of the population. So how does Rome control such a territory and keep that territory in order? Well, the way they did it is by having tremendous armies and soldiers. And soldiers would go into a city and they would become the government of that city. Now, these soldiers were brutal soldiers. They were abusive soldiers. These soldiers, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, one a soldier comes to Jesus and says, or to John the Baptist, and he says, what do I need to do? And this is what John the Baptist says. Stop extorting money from the people. Stop threatening the people and live within your means. And so the Roman soldiers were brutal people. They would come in. If there was any kind of civil unrest, they would just kill you. And not only will they, will they kill you, there's stories of them killing, uh, 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 destroying whole cities, communities, and then putting them up on stakes for miles so that when anybody walked down that road, they could see what would happen if you defied the Roman government. So, the Roman soldiers are now in their community. How do you pay for that? Well, a Jewish person would go to Rome or, or asked Rome to give him a commission. And he would pay for that commission that allowed him the freedom to collect taxes to pay for the brutality of the Roman soldiers in their midst. So you're starting to get the scandal. You're starting to get the picture. When Jesus hung around these tax collectors, these were the people that was taking money from you so that these Soldiers in your midst that was brutalizing the community could be supported. They were hated. They were despised by the people. That's a tax collector. Now, a sinner. What's a sinner? 
a sinner, I'm a sinner, we make mistakes. No, a sinner in this culture was a class of people. Remember the disease? Remember the blind beggar? He said, Who, whose sin caused this? His sin or his parents' sin? Remember in Luke chapter 7, the woman that came and was washing Jesus' feet with expensive ointment, probably the perfume that she used in her trade, and was kissing his feet and washing his feet. And they said, if Jesus knew what type of woman this was. Remember the demon-possessed? Remember the, I mean, the story goes on and on and on. The, the diseased and the broken of the culture, they were the sinners, it was a ragamuffin group of people. It was the harlots, the whores, the diseased, the broken. And look at what it says about Jesus. They were all drawing near to him. Do you see the scandal? These are people that were not accepted in society drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. To eat with a tax collector, to eat with a sinner is you becoming one with them. You're saying, I affirm you. I love you. I embrace you. I join my life with your life. So that's the tax collector. That's the sinner. Jesus is eating with them. But there's a third group of people. And we have to understand this. It's the Pharisees. I got to tell you, the Pharisees, they were They were really mean people. But they were righteous people. I mean, the the Pharisees, they knew the rules. They knew the laws. And they stayed within the perimeters. I mean, if Jesus says, if the the scripture says, do not work on the Sabbath, they would deem, if I walk over 50 feet, I'm working, and therefore I have broken the Sabbath, and I have to go do some holy cleansing to make myself right again. A Pharisee memorized the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Question. Don't raise your hand, but who here has even read those five books? Most of the time, we get into chapter 3 of Genesis, and we want to shoot off to First John real quick. Let alone Leviticus, but these religious Pharisees, they had it. The Pharisees, they had a robe around them that they would hold tight to them because they feared that if they were to touch something that was unclean, they would have to go through a holy cleansing act. Let me give you this in modern day. A Pharisee would not watch a movie that had a bad word in it. Not only would they not watch a movie that had a bad word in it, they would not have the Netflix app for fear that if they had the Netflix app, they would be tempted to watch that movie. Not only would they not have that app, they would not have a TV for fear that they would want to get the app and that they would watch a movie. Not only would they not have a TV, they would not have a room in their house set up for a nice TV experience because they were afraid that they would want a TV for that room, which caused them to fear that they would want the Netflix app, which caused them to fear that they would watch a movie they shouldn't watch. Not only would they not have a room in their house, they would go into Best Buy because they would fear if they went into Best Buy, they would see a TV. On and on and on. 
This is where it gets tricky. Are you ready for this? If you went into Best Buy, they would judge you as unworthy and as unclean. Now, you see what's happening? These Pharisees, here's the scandal. These religious leaders, they had their picture of God and who God was. And Jesus comes and he starts to break that down. And he eats with tax collectors. And he eats with sinners. Oh my goodness, what is he saying about the kingdom of God? It gives me hope for me. What about you? And then Jesus goes on. And his first parable is the parable of the lost sheep, beginning in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Let's talk about this a little bit. Have you ever had anything lost before? Have you ever lost keys? My wife lost her wallet just a couple weeks ago. We went everywhere and she found it in the refrigerator. That's another story. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's another story. But have you ever lost anything before? Have you been in a mall? Walking with a child? Maybe a four-year-old? That four-year-old gets three or four steps behind you. You're just kind of looking that way. Shoots off into another store. You turn around. And all that fear arises. Where's my little Johnny? Where did Tommy go? Well, we know Daniel's past. Where did Daniel go? You know, where, and, the, and the fear that rises in you because you've lost a child. And not only are you pursuing to find that you're gathering everybody around you saying, help me find my child. And if they don't help you, you take offense to that. Because you want them to help you find the child that you've lost. And Jesus is saying that this shepherd lost a sheep. He's feeling the emotions. He's, he's trying to get the Pharisees to understand this. And then he goes to the sheep. A sheep is naive. You and I are naive sometimes. We're unaware of the danger. Sheep cannot find their way back to the fold. So Jesus leaves the 99. And he goes and he finds them. And when he finds the sheep... He takes the sheep, puts it on his shoulder, and brings the sheep back into the fold. Question. Do you know that Jesus right now has you on his shoulder? He's searching for you. He's longing for you. Now, some of you have been found by him. You've opened up your heart, and you've been found, but you've not let the Spirit of God go to all the areas of your life. Right? Seeking you to him to come all those areas of your life that are broken. He wants those areas of your life to be found by him. But look at this interesting thing. And, and let me ask you this question. Do you have this understanding of Jesus? In verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven 
over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, which is a slap to the Pharisees who thought that they needed no repentance, that they were righteous, but in God's eyes, they weren't righteous at all. And Jesus is saying, this sheep understood that they're unrighteous. They're naive, unaware. They could not get back to the fold. I went and I found them and they opened up their heart and received me. Look at this next parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So she's got a coin, and there's many things that that could be. Tradition in the Jewish wedding was that a, a bride from her father would get ten silver coins to hold for life. So it could have been that. She could have lost that. But she takes her lamp, she takes her light, which represents the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And there's just so much depth we could go into if time allows it, but it doesn't allow it. And she goes, see, she searches for that coin. Now, I want you to understand this. A coin, a, a quarter, has a value of 25 cents. Would everybody agree with that? You throw that coin in the middle of the ocean off of a cruise ship and it lands at the bottom of the ocean, does it not still have a value of 25 cents? Absolutely it does. Jesus wants us to know and he wanted the Pharisees to know that the sinners and the tax collectors as well as the Pharisees all have, watch this, to God the same value the same value and he runs the the woman seeks to find that coin now what happens when she finds that coin rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I have lost just so Jesus I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents are you starting to see the scandal the Pharisees are watching this. Now you see the sinners and tax collectors saying, could this be true? Is he speaking to me? Am I the sheep that he's looking for? Am I the coin that he said, could this be true? And can you see the Pharisees? What? No, Jesus, shepherds are considered unclean according to the Levitical law. And why are you using a woman in this parable? Women is way down the class. Jesus is just slapping them all over the face. The scandal is he's just going full steam ahead. He's, he's shooting straight with these men. And then he's going to get into the, what we call the prodigal son. And he is going to say things now that's going to rattle the world. That's going to cause the Pharisee and the religious leaders of the time to want to put Jesus to death. Let's pick up the story in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, please understand, we got to get the history of this. A son is coming to the father asking for his share of inheritance that should not have happened until after the father died. Is shaming the father. He's saying to the father, Father, I want nothing to do with you. 
I mean, Jesus is going to paint a picture here of a really bad guy. And when he says shares property, in the Greek, that word property is bios. Bios means, is a Greek word for life. What he's saying is in that culture, the property that a man amasses where the crops was raised, is where the livestock would graze. It became life to the family. The son is saying to the father, Father, I want to take away the life from you. And not only that, but the father had pride in growing and amassing the, the, the crops and the, the acreage and the land because his hope was that he's, he's going to provide an income for the generations to come. And so for this son to go to his father and slap him in the face, say, I want your life, father. I want nothing to do with you, father. Give me what is owed me. See, in the Middle East culture, even today, there's two things that's really important. Number one is shame, and number two is honor. May I say to you, this young son is bringing great shame upon the father. This young son is saying to the father, I don't care about what's important to you. Now, if I was a dad, get back to your room, kid. What are you doing asking me that question? Wouldn't you? <laughs> of course we would. But what happens? Now think about the Pharisees listening to this story. What happens? And he divided his life, his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. By the way, can you feel the father bearing the brunt of rejected love? Have you ever had someone you loved that rejected you? The father is bearing the brunt of that rejected love right now. But he lets that son go. And look what happens. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in what? Reckless living. And when he has spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Let me share with you about the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God means this. God will allow you to go your own way to let you experience the end result of your folly. If you want to be materialistic and greedy and gain your wealth, no matter what you want or no matter what you do, that's what you want. The Father will let you go that way. Now, in doing that, you're going to work 60, 70 hours a week. You're going to go from a $500,000 house to a $5 million house to three boats here and two houses here. You're probably going to wreck your marriage, and you're probably going to have a whole bunch of kids who are materialistic, and you don't have time for the kingdom anymore. And then when you get older, you start figuring out what Jesus is all about, but you see that your kids want nothing to do with him because you train them by the God of this age. That's called the passive wrath of God. He lets you go. You want to be sexually immoral? He's going to love you, but he's going to let you go down a road, and you're going to find that if you want to be sexually immoral, that it's going to bring destruction to your life. You want to be passive and lazy, not playing your life in a biblical way? He's going to let you do that, and he's going to let you suffer the consequences of that. That's called the passive 
wrath of God. I've seen it over and over and over again in people's lives that I counsel. I've seen it in my own life. God just said, all right, Dennis, go that way and see what happens. And then guess what happens in my life? A severe famine comes. Now, this is a famine that was used that was so severe that we resort, and this word is used in other times, that we resort people to cannibalism. As a matter of fact, what happened to this young man? A severe famine rose in the country, and he began to be in need. You see the passive breath of God? He's letting you come to the end of yourself. How many here have ever been to the end of yourself? Man, that's a good place to go. Because now you're going to turn to where you were always destined to be. And that is in the embrace of the Father. And so, so, there he, there, so, so he sent, went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. Who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Can you see the Pharisees? Now think about how evil this boy is. Now he's feeding pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything Wow! Now look what happens. You see, he's at the end of his rope. I love this next part. When he came to himself, what does what he what's he saying? What's Jesus saying? He discovers something about truth. He discovers something about his God. Look what happened. He came to himself. He said, "How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger." I'll rise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And there's so much to be said about that, but I'm not going to spend the time on that right now. And he arose and he came to his father. (laughs) Can you see the tax collectors and the sinners say, oh. He brought shame on the family. What's, what's, what's going to happen here? And can you see the Pharisees? <laughs> Jesus, you better get this one right. You better get this one right. And guess what? He's now going to portray a picture of the Father that was unheard of in that culture. May I say, it's unheard of in our culture today. Let me ask you, do you have the revelation of the Father that Jesus is going to betray right now? Follow me in the sacred word in the sacred text. In verse 21, excuse me, in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father felt compassion. And ran. Do you realize a father did not run in that culture? Running was an act of shame. To run, you had a garment. You would have to raise your garment to free your legs to run. A man of substance did not run. The head of his household did not run in that culture. Here, the Pharisees are seeing him portraying a God. Watch this. Portraying a God that's running to us. Do you see that God in your life today? Do you see a God that's running to you? 
seeking you, finding you. And then he doesn't stop there. And he says, the father embraced him and kissed him. Do you know what just happened in that embrace? The father became one with the pigs. The son was probably had no clothes. He had all this stench. He was slim. Because he couldn't eat anything. He's probably had diarrhea. He's probably had diseases. Hair's messed up. He hasn't had bath for weeks and months. And here comes the father embracing him. And not only that, he begins kissing him. I want you to know today, if you have not been found by God, He's searching for you. And he wants to embrace you. And he wants to kiss you. Have you have been found by God, but you feel distant from him? Because you've chose to go directions in your life that's not been healthy for you? I want you to know he wants to go to that area of brokenness. And he wants you to find him in that area. Do you have a revelation of a God who's running towards you? Do you have a revelation of a God who's embracing you. And then he starts to spill. And the son said to him in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. He's not even listening to his son spill. He's bringing the best robe. The father had the best robe. He only used the best robe for special occasions. So the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, wrap it around my son and all that stench. And all that filth, he doesn't say, son, go get a bath. He doesn't say, son, get some soap. He doesn't say, son, go get yourself clean. He doesn't say that at all. He says, son, here's the robe, wrap it around him. And then look what happens. And he gives him, um, puts on him a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What's the ring? The ring is a family emblem. It's the authority. It's the credit card of the family. They would go to a store. They would get some done credit. They would put a little wax in. They would put the family emblem. He is saying to the son, I fully trust you. I'm restoring you back into mine. Can you see the Pharisees saying, this isn't the God that I know. Maybe it's not the God you know, but it's the God in this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is trying to portray to us. A God that runs to us, embraces us, and kisses us. And look what happens. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. There's so much richness in that verse, but but I, I don't have time for that. For this, my son was dead. He was dead. Do you remember? You've heard of honor killings? We hear about honor honor killings today in the Middle East if you bring shame to the family. That's what's going on here. He brought shame to the family and he was seen as though dead. For this, my son, he's dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Wow! That's the God I embrace. That's the God that found me, that found you, that wants to find those who have, haven't been found. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field as he came. And by the way, the older son, is, God wants to find him also. The older son represents the Pharisees. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brothers to come, and your father has killed the fat the fattened cat because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother said, oh, my little brother's back. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, he's back. Oh, only if. Only if. That would be the normal spiritual response. But it's not the response of the older brother. Look at the response of the Pharisee. You ready? But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. Here's the father coming to him, seeking him, drawing his older son in. And he answered the father, he said, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, you command giver, you rule maker. Yet you never gave me a young goat. The father said, goat? I would have given you a boat. I would have given you a yacht. What do you mean a goat? Look what he says in verse 30. But when this son of yours came, his, excuse me, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, here's the revelation that the Pharisees, the religious entity part of us, we must embrace. Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. That was the analogy with the boat. Don't ask for a goat. Get a boat. It's yours, son. All I have is yours. I'm your, I'm your father. I'm not a rulemaker. I'm not a kid. I'm your daddy. You're my son. I love you. And then he says, in, in verse 31, he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. And the band would come up. Just a couple of things I want us to take from Luke 15 to allow our hearts to explode. The first thing I want you to take is that it didn't start with you. It started with the Father. It wasn't you who got the Father to look to you. It's the Father who's constantly, all the time, every day, every moment, looking towards you. Wanting you. Longing for you. His furious, his passionate love He's seeking you as a shepherd seeks that lost sheep. He's seeking you as a woman who lost that coin seeks that coin. He's seeking you, waiting for you as the younger son to come home to him. He's going out and treating you as the younger brother, saying, I long for you. I want you. I want you to be a part of my plan. See, in this upside-down kingdom, the world says that God is distant. He's mean. He's a controller. But Jesus says, my God is forgiving. He's loving. He's open-hearted. He wants to embrace you. So I want two types of response. And we're going to open up, if the band starts playing, we're going to open up the 
front here. First response is, there's anybody here today who's never been found by God. You've never opened up your heart saying, God, I want you. Thank you for searching for me. You don't have to leave today without being found. You can be found today in this very moment. He wants you. You're here for a reason. You're here to hear this message because Abba, Papa God, Daddy, the Father, He wants you. And then the second group of persons, the person who's been found by God, kind of like that younger brother who's kind of been self-centered, who's focused their life on themselves. And you're, you're starting to experience some of the consequences of that. I want you to know that all you have to come to the Father, and you don't have to come forward. We give an altar as an opportunity for that, but you can do this right here in your own seat. You can say, Father, find this area of my brokenness, plumb the depths of it, and bring me healing. Pastor Daniel, he'll be up here in the front for any of those who need ministry, or for any of those who say, I want to be found by God. I want to know that type of God. I want to know the God of the upside-down kingdom. Daniel will be here to help you experience that as we're live. God bless you. May we stand. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, come. We don't want anybody to leave today who has not been found by you. Father, we don't want anybody to leave today without hope. And so, Father, we ask the Holy Spirit that you just touch hearts now as we allow you to minister to us.